Hello, I'm Sarah Spateri, and you're listening to The Well-Crafted Life, the new podcast from Homes and Gardens that considers one big question. How do we enhance our homes, and so, our lives? Every week, I'll be asking three tastemakers to share three secrets. It's a podcast that focuses as much on the little things as the big things, because a well-crafted life is made up of both. I hope you enjoy the show. This episode of The Well-Crafted Life is sponsored by Martin Moore, Classic English Kitchens. This week's theme is the individual home, so I've brought together three interior designers who specialise in creating personal spaces that are joyful and uplifting. First, we'll hear from Kit Kemp, whose vibrancy and flair can be experienced in her hotels in London and New York. My second guest is Beata Hoyman, a designer known for originality and eccentricity. Finally, we'll meet Soane's Lulu Little, a champion of British craftsmanship who creates layered, elegant schemes. It's a melting pot of rich colours, treasured textiles, frothy coffees and birthday balloons, with a lot of comfort thrown in along the way. Let's dive straight in with the Colour Queen kit. Welcome to the Well-Crafted Life kit. Oh, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. As you know, we're here to talk about home and how to enhance our spaces. So I thought it would be great if you could describe where you live and what it means to you. I'm choosing um, my house in the countryside, which actually isn't very, very beautiful, but it's in a lovely location because it overlooks a river. And when Tim and I bought it, we thought, my goodness, what are we going to do? And then we heard someone talking about a facademy, which sounded very strange, but actually... <laughs> they were talking about was glamouflaging an old house and making it into something special, which is what we have done. And we've been living there for the last, oh gosh, 25 years. And uh, there are special rooms in the house and uh, rooms which are sort of rather nostalgic and have things in it that um, just follow me around and that I love. And are these objects that you've collected over time? Um, well, they're things that I've collected and they're often things from travel and um, uh, from Papua New Guinea. There are a couple of huge shields which suddenly have emerged and stand in the corner. And I think it's important in rooms to have focal points, but not a huge focal point like a chandelier or a fireplace, but sort of decoy focal points. And um, mine, I suppose, in, in my favourite room um, is uh, a weather vane of a fox that I actually bought for Tim's birthday one year. That's fantastic. Thank you, Kit. And I think that's your first um, your first secret for us. Thinking about your home, you know, it's obviously full of colour and pattern, which are obviously very important to you as a designer. Can you identify what draws you to sort of strong, rich, pigmented hues or, or lively patterns? Well, I, I think colour makes you happy for a start. And um, it's amazing how colour can spice up your life and spice up your home in a way. Um, I personally choose warm colours. I always like to work with a warm palette. Um, and even if I was painting before, it would always be in warmer colours and not cool. Although I do love blues. Um, but um, when I walk around my home, I just see that there are lots of reds and golds and autumn colours. I think I'm drawn to those. Uh, but I think a special thing also about the rooms are using um, texture and fabrics 
in the right place, like putting a heavier weight weave on a sofa, and then you can have the lighter weight um, or even found fabrics as cushions um, or, or curtains and sort of weaving in a story into your room. That's really fascinating. Do you, you know, do you think the design process differs for you at, at home to compared to when you're working on a ho- one of the hotels? No, it it doesn't actually. It, there's absolutely no difference at all, and and I, I don't have that difference. And in fact, I look upon my hotels as other homes. So there are beautiful things in there, or things that mean a lot to me, um, that. Uh, because we're at home now, my girls have grown up. And so it's actually Tim and I and the dogs at home. And um, very often things can be much admired and should be. Um, so I put them in the hotels as well. But there are my special, very sentimental things at home as well that that sort of have come and just sit there and remain and are never going to go away. <laughs> And for your for your next secret, I believe you're going to tell us a little bit about kind of where you look for inspiration. For inspiration, yes, I can tell you exactly who really is my design hero, and her name is Vanessa Bell. She was part of the Bloomsbury Group. She was Virginia Woolf's sister. They were the Stephen girls before they got married, and. Um, I love Vanessa because she has so much humanity to begin with. You know, she had a sister that uh, often um, had uh, nervous breakdowns and she just held everyone together. Everyone that she was around wanted to be with her. When they visited her at Charleston, they never wanted to leave. Um, And she created um, a home there that wasn't about designer pieces. It was about painting it yourself, making do, making something special out of something quite ordinary sometimes. And of course, cooking good food. Yes, absolutely. Now, you know, that that energy that she brings is something that we obviously know you for, that kind of individualism. And, you know, part of that, I suppose, is, is, is your love of craftsmanship. Would you say that that ties very closely into one of that sort of personal individual home that you are so brilliant at creating absolutely I like to think small I don't like to think big and I love to think of craftspeople I love to talk to craftspeople as much as anything else but you know if if you make a basket um if it's if you make the same design 10 times it comes out in 10 different ways it's never the same twice and i love that individuality of craftsmanship and it doesn't matter whether it's knitting or whether you're a silversmith or a carpenter or a weaver there's always that there's always that something which makes it so special and within a room it's something that I think people are drawn to. It's that love of folk art. And it reminds us also of our past. It reminds us sometimes of our parents or our grandparents who maybe were wood carvers or good at marquetry or making furniture or even making rag rugs or uh, patchwork bedspreads. And those are the things to me that make a house a home. Fabulous. And I'd like to move on to your third secret, if that's okay, which is the use of natural materials. Why, why do you think this is so important in enhancing our homes? It's, it's not only natural materials, it's sort of raw materials. It's the raw materials that bring a home together. And um, I, although I love wood 
because it doesn't matter how old it gets, the more it's polished, the older it gets, the more beautiful it is. And then, of course, natural stones um, and wooden floorboards, but also things like alabaster, because alabaster lets the light come through it. So very often, if you have little night lights at home or a glow of um, a, a sort of chandelier with alabaster in it, it is quite magnificent. And also clay, because clay can be made in such a way that the light comes through it as well. And But also, they're not just raw materials like that. I also love perspex, because with Perspex, I can make incredible frames, clear frames, so I can take an old embroidery or an old Indian piece of workmanship, and then by putting it in Perspex, it makes it more contemporary. And the same with plates. I love Rabina Jack's plates, and um, I don't always want to use them on the table. I think they're like artwork, so I'll put them in black felt and then in perspex and put them on a wall as a collection, and suddenly they become really fascinating. Yeah, that's that's wonderful, and it makes me think, um, I know that you're launching, or sorry, I should say releasing a new book, which is kind of very much geared around you sharing wonderful secrets like this. I've always been amazed at the creativity at home of making making painted picture frames or bringing out sort of Victorian things like paper puzzles or shell mirrors or potato block printing, for example, all those things. And um, we have been terrific at that in the last year. So that is just one part of the book, which is just called Design Secrets. And um, it's been fantastic putting it together. And I didn't realize what a sort of catalog of sort of weird and wonderful and rather eccentric ideas we have. And just the things that I've learned over the years. So just sort of amassing them all together and putting them in a little book. That sounds brilliant. I can't wait to see it. And thank you so much for opening up your your mind, your home, your kind of design notebook for us, Kit. So yeah, really appreciate it and loved catching up. Thank you. I just want to interrupt to talk to you about Martin Moore. Specialists in bespoke kitchen furniture, Martin Moore is known for classic English design with an elegant, timeless style. Committed to excellence and British craftsmanship, all their kitchens are custom designed and handmade to order in their UK workshops. To find out about Martin Moore and their kitchens, head to their website martinmoore.com or follow them on Instagram at martinmoordesign. Now for my next guest, interior designer Beata Hoyman. Hi, Beata. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on The Well-Crafted Life. It's really wonderful to have you here. Now, I've read that you want your home to be a magical little world for your family. So that really resonates more than ever at the moment. So I thought we'd we'd start our conversation with you telling us about your home and, and your space. Um, thank you so much and thank you for having me. Um, I, th- I actually think a lot of how I see a home um, goes back to my childhood and growing up in quite a remote place in the south of Sweden and there really wasn't very much more to my world than our home and I guess the garden around it so I've always had this quite strong feeling that home should encompass everything you need and as well as being you know comforting and cozy I also wanted to kind of inspire and lift your spirits so when I set 
about designing our home here in London. It's quite it's, it's quite a small house and nothing grand at all, but I really wanted to have that feeling that, you know, if you could never leave, you'd be okay there, <laughs> which <laughs> actually proved to be quite handy this last yes, year. Absolutely. Um, I really like when you you're focused in the moment that you're in when you're when you're in the interior for example and you kind of want to forget about the outside world to really appreciate the space that you're in and I do think you you, you kind of create that feeling easier about by adding elements that are a bit out of this world and almost a bit fantastical so my work has taken sometimes a little bit of a surreal direction almost I think to accentuate that feeling of that you are in another in another world I absolutely um, understand that and I mean you know I, I I have children a similar age to you and I'm so drawn to the to the child's bedroom you created for Gurley and Alma and the mural and sort of how that does feel very otherworldly um if you'd like to tell us about that that would be great so that actually um, I also it's my favorite room in the house actually um, and that all came from when I I did a project when I was working for Nicky Haslam in New York and he took me for vodka to have mod, vodka martinis at the Carlisle uh, on the upper east side <laughs> and um, it's the, it basically it's a co- copy of the Bemelman's bar there and Ludwig Bemelmans who's the illustrator of the Madeleine books he he did basically exactly what I then copied for my children's bedroom walls in the in on the walls of the bar there I think in exchange of he lived at the hotel with his family for a year and got to drink or something so and then he (laughs) did that mural for them and I really love how you know it's childlike but I also like they all like you know drinking and smoking and having a fun time on the characters on the walls I kind of like that sort of you know the juxtaposition of childhood and then something that's like almost has a slightly naughty edge to it absolutely Um, but it really does give depth and it's sort of you do feel very transported when you're in that room and I think it sort of sparks the imagination um so I think it works for grown-ups and children alike (laughs) yeah that links us really nicely to your first secret um which you've titled sense of occasion tell us about that so I think I've always really I sort of always come up with these kind of little little rituals so one thing that I've been doing for a really long time is I make my like morning coffee in a very specific way which I think started when I was in Florence with my sister when I was 19 and I just finished school and you know this, this kind of even though it's a simple thing that you do every day like sort of have you know I put the uh, mocha on and I froth the coffee and I put it in the cup and cup and like the smells will come sort of wafting towards me and I think that that really gets me out of bed every morning it's a bit of a it's not as easy as maybe doing it another way but it's sort of I don't know I think making things special makes it more and you know kind of more enjoyable and I find with my girls again when in the middle of lockdown you sort of need certain things to just you know to change things up and make it feel special so even though you know they're two and three years old we'll on Sundays we'll make this we'll have an early dinner with them they go to bed at seven so that dinner has to be at you know five and we'll put like a white tablecloth on we'll give them china and proper glasses and white napkins 
like not the perfect. most practical, but they really love it. And actually, it's like something to look forward to at the end of the weekend. And um, you know, they're they're very they're very happy being part of that, and they sort of keep asking about it throughout the week. So I think kind of creating a sense of occasion out of something simple. It often has to do with cooking when it when it comes to me, but um, we also do other things on their birthdays. I because when I was little, my dream was always to have actual helium balloons that, you know, floated up in the air and you just had the normal ones that were like lying on the ground. So <laughs> I, I thought it was very magical about actual floating balloons. And um, I, for their birthdays, I always get like a big helium canister and I would blow up all these like multicolor balloons and fill the dining room ceiling with all these balloons, which my husband was a bit sort of huffing and puffing about it but because it's a bit of a job. <laughs> but um, actually, again, it's become one of those things that they look forward to. And, you know, it means celebration. I hope it'll be a memory for them. So I really think that making like a little bit of extra effort to, to create like a nice memory or occasion goes a long way. That's so interesting. And it sort of reminds me when I look at your style of how obviously you are influenced by your memories and your sort of Swedish background and how, you know, there is there is that handwriting is that something that you feel that you've shaped obviously you've as you mentioned worked with Nikki Haslam and you know you've had lots of varied experiences how do you think your design handwriting has been shaped by these memories or experiences I mean very very much so so you know almost everything that I do is is uh, kind of comes from some experience or some sort of memory um and yeah, if you look around my house, as I just mentioned, my my daughter's bedroom, it's from that, you know, that trip I had with Nikki in New York. And um, if you look at, for example, our terrace this summer, I did this mural on the walls there that is a copy from um, the Bobbley Gardens in Florence, where I, yeah, where I spent a year after school and I go back quite a lot. Um, and I have, you know, it's, I have lots of little knickknacks that are uh, quite sentimental. Like I got a pen holder from that my mom used to have when she was little. You know, I actually have my old kind of teddies from my own childhood. So I, you know, I think it's really important to have those memories that shape you reflected in your home around. It's just naturally how I design as well. Yeah. And I love that this is your second secret. And I love that you call it embracing the sentimental, because I think there is something you can really see that in your in your design and in your spaces. And the other thing that interests me is I, I, I see you as a sort of problem solver. You know, you've obviously branched into product um, uh, to kind of almost sort of solve a specific problem either in your home or in a home that you're designing and that sort of feels part of this journey because you're kind of creating pieces of design as you know they're kind of coming into being as part of a through a happening or through an experience absolutely that, so I think yeah it means you know everything that we put into our collection a lot of it was actually came from just as you say something that I needed in my own house and uh, and just kind of solving that problem. Um, but it also means that everything that I put, it really means something to me, everything that we have in our collection, for example. And it's all, it's all coming from an, a need. It's not about like, you know, pushing products. It's more that we needed something at some point and then we made it happen. Um, but I think, I think the sentimental is often quite, you know, maybe 
a bit underrated and or not talked about that much. But to be honest, like that's the kind of thing that really resonates with people. If I, you know, if I design something for a client and we, you know, chance upon something they might have had in their childhood, you know, the whole face will soften and light up and it doesn't have to be the most beautiful thing of all time it just it just has to mean something and I do think that's so important when it comes to doing your own kind of making a space that's personal for you is to include these you know sentimental things from your childhood or you know things that stayed with you for whatever reasons that you've experienced because it just means that it will it will just mean so much more to you yeah. And, you know, we've themed this episode, The Personal Home, which is obviously so core to how you designed it. And I think that links us nicely to your third and final secret, which was a sort of lockdown hack, if you will. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, tell us about adding variation. But so, yeah, I think basically we're all stuck in our houses and it's like, you know, whatever way you sort of turn it, it's just like the same thing day in or day out. So, I was really wanting to just instinctively create a bit of variation around me. So the the best thing I did was that I bought a socket that cost, you know, £12 or something um, that I could plug in uh, my lamps in my garden house. I plugged it into the socket and then it's controlled by a remote. So I can stand in the kitchen in my house and then turn the light lamps on and off in my garden house, the back of my little garden from the comfort of my kitchen, which is very cozy. And then it really like extends the view um, because I you know, can properly see out there. I've recently added another light string in my apple tree that does the same. Basically, the longer lockdown goes on, the more lights you'll find at the back <laughs> of our garden. It's kind of running out of space. But um, it's such a stupid little thing. But it's actually like, it gives me such a thrill every night when I turn it on. And it like, you know, it looks really cozy and like brightens things up. And at Christmas, I did this other thing, which I'm very excited about, which I put four hooks in the ceiling in my dining room. And then we cut some big, we got this olive tree in our garden which is very happy there for some weird reason so we cut big branches off the olive tree and just hung it in the four corners of the dining room which is like very theatrical great yeah, dramatic perfect. and again it just like changed the mood a bit so I think that's why people are so fond of lighting candles um you know you you have a room and then it's the evening and you light a candle and, and it feels really different and I do think that can be quite uplifting and just you know inspiring and just kind of jolly things along a little bit absolutely Um, and I have to say my second favorite room in your house is your garden house and don't you and your husband have a lovely name for it well we call it Chatsworth which was actually uh we actually got that from uh, the previous owners so they I obviously did the decor in the way that I (laughs) did but they built the house and they call it Chatsworth so we just continue to call it Chatsworth but yeah we love Chatsworth and we actually also because it's more something that we've been using in the summer we've now got this little heater out there so we can turn it on and we can even sit there and the baby monitor goes out there as well so we can sit there and you know cold winter nights um basically the 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 thing that happens in Chatsworth is mostly that we're just like you know drinking wine and (laughs) and talking and listening to music yeah Um, yeah what we all need at the moment yeah exactly but like Chatsworth that's the same thing it's like you know you all of a sudden you feel like you're somewhere else and you're sort of transported elsewhere so it's um it's great to have it's very small but it's really actually has 
uh, enriched our lives this year. <laughs> uh, well, Bayata, thank you so much from creating a sense of occasion and the perfect coffee to, you know, evoking memories and embracing the sentimental. I've loved hearing about how you enhance your home and you do truly seem to elevate the everyday. So thank you so much for joining us um, today. I really, really enjoyed Thanks. talking. My final guest is Sone founder Lulu Little. Hi, Lulu. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you very much, Sarah. It's so nice to be chatting to you. Um, now, from what I've heard and seen of your home, it's a trove of colour, witty details and collections from travels. Can you tell us about it? Yes, um, I live in Bayswater in London and um, I've lived here for over 20 years. My husband, Charlie, and I moved here when I was pregnant with our eldest child, Tom. And we're in a very grand mid-19th century white stucco building. It's Beautiful. Yeah, there's nothing at all grand about our flat. Uh, we're at the top of <laughs> the uh, maids' quarters, which have very low ceilings and no special architectural details. But um, I suppose the trade-off with our elevated position does give us extraordinary views um, over, well, on the south side, over a rather lovely communal garden. And, oh, lovely. And it floods the flat with beautiful morning light which is my favorite light um and when the, the london plane trees which surround the garden are in full leaf i feel as if i'm right up living in a tree house yeah that sounds um, amazing well it, it, it yes it, it's a very um happy trade-off really with with the, the lack of any sort of architectural merit but um we completely gutted the flat when we moved here it was a warren of of bedsits and we reconstructed it to create an easy flow from the living to sleeping end. At that point, obviously, we didn't have any children and our three children have all grown up here. So we tried to separate the two. Um, and the kitchen is very much the beating heart of the flat. It's near the front door and the room which we all seem to gravitate to. There's, there's nearly always someone in there either cooking or doing something at the kitchen table. Um, we, we all love food and linger over supper in there every night. Lovely. And so do you use your kind of home as the laboratory for your you know, schemes that you're planning through through Sone and your business? Yes, that's a very good way of looking at it. Um, the flat has changed atmospheres and styles and morphed enormously over those 20 years. Um, and, and, you know, in, in the early days, there was no wallpaper. Now there's lots of wallpaper. I suppose the thread that runs throughout everything is um, comfort, by which I, I mean not just visual but, but emotional as well. So just always trying to create a really um, gentle atmosphere, somewhere that is, is very um, easy to be in. Yeah, that was your first secret, actually. And I think it's so interesting thinking about emotional comfort as well as sort of design comfort and balancing those two things is really important and I think hearing you talk about your love of cooking and your kitchen at the heart of the home you can really sense that you know em emotional connection yes which again comes really down to the thing that makes any home a lovely home which is people um yeah it, it's, it's definitely at its nicest when when it's full of chatter um and I think that really is about the emotional comfort so it's lovely that there are rooms that everybody wants to be in and that we all have a, a strong emotional connection to. 
Absolutely. Now, Lulu, you studied ancient history and Egyptology. Is that right? And how how did you move from that to interiors? And has that academic study influenced your style at home? Uh, yes, it definitely has. I I loved um, my course, and I spent quite a lot of time out in Egypt, and actually did nearly stay on to study further. But um, I was very lucky. I then went to work for an antique dealer, Christopher Howe, and and I had all been collecting um, textiles, particularly and old, just old bits of furniture, particularly rattan furniture, since I was a teenager. So I'd always had a love of houses. My favourite thing was to go and look around houses. Um, so, and I'd always been sort of plagued by wanderlust as, as a teenager and, and had a yearning for all things exotic and especially things from the East. So studying Egyptology sort of made sense and I love sitting in libraries. So that has carried through all through my life. Lots of what I do is, is research and reading and nothing makes me happier really. That links nicely to your second secret, actually, which is books. How do you um, tell us how you use books to enhance your everyday? I think books would be if it's the one thing I could take anywhere with me. If I could just fill a suitcase with one thing, it would be books, which usually means I'm massively overweight at airport. On- <laughs> Absolutely, not <laughs> <laughs> having to pull out huge books. But um, I think you can never have too many books, and. Actually, that's one of the areas when you talk about the flat in the laboratory, that um, I'm constantly redesigning areas of the flat to allow more books to creep in because we are slightly at crisis point with the numbers we have. But I think actually book storage is a common dilemma amongst many of our clients. So I love designing pieces of furniture to incorporate books. So, for example, a sculpture stand, um, which, which might have books which support the weight of the sculpture or um, room dividers. I love bookcases with room dividers or even overdoors. So um, books are a really big part of my life and our life. And I, and obviously, aside from the most important thing that they are for reference and, and for pleasure, um, they also do create a lovely atmosphere. And how do you decide which books to treasure and which books to sort of hand on? Because that's my my dilemma is I'm kind of angsting over whether to get rid of a novel I read five years ago. Um, and when I say get rid of, obviously, I, I like passing them on, but it's always hard when you really enjoyed and had an experience with a book. But as you say, you can't physically keep every single book. Well, I can't. In, I mean, we live in a small space, but how do you decide which which books should continue their journey elsewhere? Oh, gosh, Sarah, I think you're, you're asking the wrong person because I have been <laughs> a terrible hoarder all my life. Um, and really everything, not just books, but postcards and letters and newspaper cuttings and old auction catalogues. And, and I am hopeless at throwing them away. So um, I did actually during lockdown do a very large um, cull of, but I found it very difficult and lots went outside to go off to the charity shop. And then I found myself secretly bringing them back in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have quite an ordered library. So I, because I refer to them every single day, I they are quite organised um, into well-defined categories and subject matters. So I do know where to find them. Um, and I've got lots and lots of cookbooks as well, for example. So they're all in the kitchen for easy reference. Um, yes. Novels all in one area. And then most of the books that I refer to for work are, are in our sitting room where my desk is. 
Now, while we're talking on books, it would be nice to hear from you about your fabulous Rattan um, book that you released at the end of last year. And you mentioned, you know, you've been collecting Rattan since you, you were a teenager. What is it about about Rattan that particularly sort of en- entrances you? Oh, it has um, such an intangible atmosphere. And this comes back to actually your, your original question about you know, what makes a home a home. I think there are certain pieces, especially old pieces, but actually otherwise it's about material that just immediately soften an atmosphere. And I think rattan really is one of those materials that has that ability to immediately take the edges off even the most austere setting. There's something just very, very yielding and comforting about it. And um, particularly in chairs, but also in lighting, I love the way it diffuses light so softly. Um, and light is another of the things that I feel contributes greatly to to emotional comfort and atmosphere. And bad lighting um, it can be a real disaster and kill any space sort of stone dead. So I think that's probably one of the great reasons I love Rattan. And I, I think what's so wonderful about your book is that it's you, you place Rattan with the, with the photography in so many different contexts. You know, you see it working in sort of such different spaces and so successfully that you kind of really going through it you kind of appreciate it as a material as you say and you sort of see its versatility which I think is kind of quite amazing and would you tell us about the workshop that you've set up because obviously you're, you're known as a champion of traditional craft in general but how has that particularly played out for you kind of as for Sone as a business? Um, I think um, when Sone's was first started nearly 25 years ago the the absolute founding principle was that everything would be made in England and in a way that made it easier because it limited my horizons as far as where and who we would work with because there are so many incredible craftsmen around the world and I think that's of what course. I love about collecting old things is that they they you know it might be a little little Japanese basket or um you know a manuscript from Italy it doesn't matter it's it's it that's my collecting it feels much more global but I love the idea that I'm working in on a very local scale with craftsmen and um so that they're dotted all around England and then we're bringing different crafts together in in each piece um the the obvious place to set up the Rattan workshop was Leicestershire because we actually took on an old workshop that had had gone into administration and so okay inevitable that it would be in Leicestershire because that is that has been the home of English Rattan weaving for since um the 1880s. How do you find these crafters around the country, sort of Rattan or, or otherwise? How you know, do you? I, I've heard that you maybe you go on pilgrimages almost. <laughs> well, I there've been lots of things. Of course, as as the years have gone on, um, people have pop up more and more saying, "Oh, I think we really should go and meet this silversmith or this upholsterer," which is really nice. It's very kind of people to introduce me, and people are incredibly generous in sharing that that information. But initially, actually. It was the Craft Council, and I spent days sitting in the Craft Council library um, going through all their records of, of craft, which um, are categorised by skill. And then I right. create lists and, and plot them on a map of England. And then I did week, where so one week would be the Southwest, and then I was moving all around the country and then just working out who I had a connection with and who, who, who I thought we could work with to make our designs. 
Um, That's so fascinating, Lulu. I mean, what amazing trips those must have been. Um, real discoveries of small makers and... Yeah, really fat. Small makers and lovely pubs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, your final secret that we were going to discuss today was old textiles and colour. We've touched a little bit on that. Obviously, your home sounds so layered and, and rich. But t- tell us a little bit more about how you use textiles and or found textiles and colour. Um, yes. I mean, as I was saying, I, I think that, um, for me, having been so, um, curious about particularly the Middle East, but, but really about travel of all sorts, um, I saw textiles as a way of sort of introducing me or bringing my, um, my curiosity home so that it was a way I was able to really learn about, um, sort of the human story really I mean it, that sounds possibly rather pretentious but the trans not at all cultural identities is yeah. I think so clear in textiles and in carpets and so yeah that I would I would be drawn to something often not at all expensive um other yeah. times it would be more so but then I would research it and that's how I would then discover these stories of trade cloths coming um, from India or whatever it might be. It might be, um, you know, Tibetan um, saddle cloth. It doesn't really matter what it was. It was a way of learning really um, about different cultures and about things that were made properly um, by people who had a real understanding and appreciation of doing things properly. It's all they knew really. So I think they were a lovely um connection for me with the past and I I definitely am prone to terrible nostalgia um and so I think this was a a way of um really combining all my loves um I also think that on a more practical level they really um soften a room so do carpets I often start a design of a room for a client with a carpet because really transforms a room a carpet is everything but I mean a rug by that so yes so um, a rug and various it might be a French needlepoint or an old kilim or a big old ziegler Um, I just think that they are the foundation of a room and I do notice when when the rug comes last I might be worrying that a room just is not clicking and then suddenly the rug comes in and everything it feels yeah it sounds like you're sort of travel and looking you know around for inspiration is very much part of your sort of every day and how have you found the, the last year's worth of you know where we haven't we haven't been able to experience and sort of feed the wanderlust well that's that's a really interesting question because actually I felt incredibly settled um I mean I'm really keen to travel again and I did get away um last summer in August which was really lovely a lovely change of scene but actually I think that I felt so settled fundamentally because I'm here with with my family so that's been very lovely but actually also because I've had my books my objects um pictures and all the things that I've collected around me so that's been a a real lesson in showing me that if you're surrounded by things that you have a strong emotional connection to actually you feel very happy. I mean, I've had more time to read, which has been a joy. Um, I have very comfy upholstery. And so I can flop down on a huge sofa and watch telly or read or work. Um, I've had my whippet. Nothing makes me happier. So actually, it's been 
I feel I feel incredibly lucky that um, despite all the restrictions, I have felt very settled. That is really uplifting. And I have a wonderful visual of you, you know, with your beautiful family in your kitchen. And I think I'm sure I can say that you're probably the most elegant hoarder <laughs> that I've ever um, that I've ever encountered. So I'm sure hoarding isn't quite the right word. But yeah, I, you know, I think it's so nice to to see the positive. And I, you know, couldn't agree more that if we are able to see the kind of beauty and the and any kind of brightness amidst the bleak, we need to look for it and hang on to it. So thank you so much, Lulu. It's been such a pleasure. Um, And, you know, I really am delighted to have chatted with you. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Sarah. That concludes this week's episode of The Well-Crafted Life, a future homes production from Homes and Gardens and Martin Moore. I'm Sarah Spiteri. My editor is Matt Gibbs. We hope you'll join us again next week. (laughs) 